Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Greetings, conversationalists across America. I love that you're with me. I love you guys, and thank you for listening. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Uh, Delighted to have you. We must talk about the one presidential candidate we're not talking about. Not getting a lot of new. I know I'm not talking about Doug Burgum. There is a presidential candidate. No one is talking about his candidacy. He's getting a lot of attention. In fact, I dare say he gets almost as much attention as Ron DeSantis, but nobody's talking about his presidential campaign. And yet it's very clear he's got a presidential campaign. That, of course, is Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. Now, his term is up in 2026, so maybe he wants to run in 2028, but I think Gavin Newsom is running for president now. There's a story out not related to Gavin Newsom, but it has everything to do with Gavin Newsom. The the Messenger is a new news website. The headline, where is Kamala Harris? Democrats want a more public role for the vice president. The subheadline: the vice president did not have public events scheduled for nearly half of May. Harris was missing from the May 9 meeting, which was attended by other top White House officials who went on to lead negotiations over the debt ceiling. The vice president, who was in Washington, did not have any public events on her schedule that day in May during the debt ceiling negotiations. While Harris did attend a second meeting on debt discussions later this month, later that month, the first absence was part of a larger trend. In May, the month following the announcement of the Biden-Harris re-election campaign, the vice president did not have public events scheduled for nearly half, 15 days of the month of May. In that same period, Joe Biden had four days with no public events listed on his public schedule and two additional days for which the only item on his public schedule was receiving the president's daily brief. Privately, behind the scenes, strategists are concerned that Kamala Harris is fading into the background. The public kind of needs to see her doing meat and potatoes political stuff, says one Democratic strategist. That's the kind of stuff voters need to see her out there doing. Another strategist says Kamala Harris isn't a forward-facing person or in the public eye like she needs to be. She was the former senator from California. She has the worst approval rating of most any politician in Washington, Kamala Harris has a worse approval rating than Donald Trump. And Joe Biden has a problem beyond Kamala Harris. I don't know if y'all have seen this or not, but the Robert Kennedy Jr. polling is pretty incredible for a guy in his position. He's not a governor, he's not a senator, He's not elected to anything. He's just a political activist with a uh, family name. And he's getting around 20% in Democratic primary circles right now. Democrats are a little bit concerned about this. 
You don't have to take my word for it. I realize it. But I talk to a lot of Democrats, some of them friends, some of whom you would know, and they are concerned that a nobody like Bobby Kennedy Jr. is getting 20% of the Democratic primary. And Marion Williamson, an insane, crazy person who thinks about magic crystals, is getting close to 10%. You got about 30% of Democrats saying they would prefer someone. Now, Democrat, Democratic voters are more loyal to Joe Biden. But Democrat-leaning independent voters, who are Democrats and just don't like to admit it, but they vote in the Democratic primary, they are more aligned with a Kennedy or a Williamson. That's a problem. And Gavin Newsom, you may not like Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom is a smart guy. He's also an ambitious guy. And he is running not just a campaign for president of the United States, He's running a campaign explicitly against Ron DeSantis, not even Donald Trump. Now, this is Gavin Newsom. He was interviewed on the Today Show. Listen to part of this exchange with the reporter. You tweeted directly at the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. I want to get this right. You called him a small, pathetic man and asked, quote, kidnapping charges. Is that is that what you believe happened, Governor Newsom, that Florida kidnapped migrants and brought them to California? I think I'm being generous, small, and pathetic. Uh, very generous. He's just weakness masquerading as strength. Yeah, he's flailing, desperate for attention. Let's just level set here. Let's level set. Here's a governor from the state of Florida that is using taxpayer money, and he had to go to another state to find people under false pretense. I don't think this, I know this. I talked to the migrants, lied to them, took them into another state by bus, and then took them on a chartered flight to Sacramento, lying to them that they had help on the other side, knocked on the door, and they left these migrants right there on the steps. What kind of human being does that? Ron DeSantis is going to be landing in this city later this month to hold a fundraiser for his presidential campaign. Should he be worried that law enforcement officials in this state are going to arrest him when he walks off the plane? Now we're getting into hyperbole. The bottom line is we're for accountability. I mean, I don't think it's hyperbole. You're the one raising the issue of criminality, potentially. Yes, he is. DeSantis responded, by the way. These sanctuary jurisdictions are part of the reason we have this problem, because they have endorsed and agitated for these types of open border policies. They have bragged that they are sanctuary jurisdictions. They attack the previous administration's efforts uh, to try to have border security. And so that's the policies they've staken out. Uh, and then what? When, when they have to deal with some of the fruits of that, they all of a sudden become very, very upset said about that. You can see why some people, when they're coming illegally, a place like California, they give benefits. They give unemployment checks. They do all that. And so you could see why some of those folks were interested um, in, in, in going that direction. In Florida, we've gone the opposite way. You know, we say, you know, we, we have a legal workforce. We're not going to have benefits. We're not going to do that. Uh, and basically trying to disincentivize it. Other states have tried to incentivize it. And so I think they should be the ones to pay, um, you know, to do it. Now, Newsom today is getting more attention. So first, his attention is against Ron DeSantis. He's going after Ron DeSantis. He's making, uh, yeah. And isn't it funny that they all say, we, sh- we let's have open borders. Let's allow these people in. We'll gladly take them. Ron DeSantis says, okay, put them on a plane to, San- to Sacramento. And, and Newsom's like, how dare you send these people here? 
exposing the hypocrisy of this. It was it was Ulysses S. Grant who said the way to get a bad law changed is to aggressively enforce that law. Uh, Ron DeSantis is aggressively enforcing uh, the laws regarding immigration and moving people around the country to accommodate them in places that can handle overflow crowds. And now suddenly Gavin Newsom is all upset about it, threatening criminal action. There are no grounds for him to do it. Uh, and this is actually a good play. It helps both of these guys, by the way. It makes DeSantis look great on the right because they hate Newsom. It makes Newsom look great on the left because they hate DeSantis. And now Newsom's coming out proposing a 28th Amendment to the Constitution for gun control. Every time it's the same. They tell us we can't stop these massacres. They tell us we have to stand by and watch tragedy after tragedy unfold in our communities. They say we can't stop domestic terrorism without violating the Second Amendment. And the thoughts and prayers are the best we can do. I'm here to say that's a lie. In this country, we do have the power, the power to change things, to reclaim our freedom from fear. Our ability to make a more perfect union is literally written into the Constitution. So today, I'm proposing the 28th Amendment to the United States Constitution to do just that. The 28th Amendment permanently enshrines four additions to the laws of our land. It raises the minimum age to purchase a firearm from 18 to 21. Because if you can't buy a beer, you shouldn't be able to buy a gun. It mandates universal background checks to prevent truly dangerous people from purchasing a gun that can be used in a crime. It institutes reasonable waiting periods for all gun purchases, and it bans civilians from buying assault rifles. <sighs> you know, it's not going to pass. You need two-thirds of the Congress and three-quarters of the states. It's not going to pass. But it's something for him to campaign on. He's got an agenda. He's pushing something. So you've got the sitting governor of California fighting Ron DeSantis in a way Joe Biden is not, in a way, frankly, Donald Trump is not. You've also got him advocating for an amendment to the Constitution on gun control. Why do this unless you're running for president of the United States? The Democrats have something called superdelegates. Superdelegates are 778 votes at the Democratic National Convention. You throw the Democratic Party process into chaos, Joe Biden ultimately decides not to run or he dies, frankly, at his age. Uh, I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, the man is over 80. He's in a high-stress job. You got Kamala Harris there putting roller skates on the steps of the White House. Something could happen. Kamala Harris is the most unpopular politician in America other than Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is perfectly fine in Kentucky. Kamala Harris has national popularity rating problems. She's not a good politician. She's been in hiding. Or Joe Biden just decides, you know what? I'm not going to run after all. The economy takes a turn for the worse. And towards the end of the year, Joe Biden says, I'm not going to. Hey, LBJ did this. There is precedent for this. Lyndon Baines Johnson, running for president of the United States, decided ultimately to step aside. He stepped aside as the primaries were happening. It opens the door for a guy like Newsom. Might as well lay the groundwork. Might as well build the fundraising war chest. Buttigieg is tied up with ports and aviation and, and kids. He doesn't have time to do what, what Newsom is doing. Newsom has a platform. He's known. He segments himself. Kamala Harris can't do it because she would look disloyal. Gavin Newsom is placing his bets on the road ends in Joe Biden stepping aside. And if not, he's already built his formidable war chest for 2028 if Joe Biden does go for it. 
I don't think that Newsom can challenge Joe Biden unless things really turn for the worse for Biden. The Democrats will have his back. But Newsom is clearly, clearly laying the groundwork. And what is smart about it, and again, whether you like the guy or not, you can't deny he is a smart guy. You may disagree with him, but he's not a, he's not dumb politically. What he's doing is he's strategizing on multiple fronts. He's blocking Kamala Harris by locking in fundraisers for himself in California, competing with her for money he's winning. He's blocking out Pete Buttigieg, who desperately covets the presidency. And he's laying the alternative groundwork. If not Biden, it becomes a free-for-all process. Kamala Harris just doesn't walk into the nomination. He's got that locked up. And if Joe Biden stays, he's already building his case for 2028 that he's the guy, not Kamala Harris. It's a smart move whether he tries for 2024 or 2028. And my suspicion is he thinks there's going to be an opening for 2024. Whether there is or not, I don't know. But he certainly thinks there's going to be one. And he's pursuing it relentlessly and aggressively. And what I also find very notable, more than anything else, is that he thinks his rival is DeSantis, not Trump. And he's laying the groundwork to be a Democrat who can take on DeSantis for 2024. His calculation, Biden steps aside and DeSantis is the GOP nominee. His entire political life right now is premised on those two calculations. He could be wrong. But if you were a betting man, you understand why he's laying the groundwork on both fronts concurrently right now and building his war chest to see it through. The problem for him is that he thinks Americans embrace progressivism. And if he's paid attention, even in 2020, Americans may have gone with Joe Biden, but they have rejected progressives across the board. It actually help a DeSantis or even a Trump if Newsom was the Democratic nominee. Bolin Branch uses the finest 100% organic cotton from family farms to your family home. They've got a natural unmatched softness and they get softer with every wash. Those are the highlights that Bolin Branch wants me to tell you about. Let me tell you about my experience as a longtime customer. Every single room in our house has Bolin Branch sheets. Why? Because they don't pill up over time. Uh, you know, some, they, they get a little, like, like pill of whatever they call it, and, and they get rough. They don't. They get softer every single wash, and they last. They don't wear out. You don't have fraying threads. They just are fantastic, and they really, really do get softer the more you wash them, and they hold up over time. We love them in our house. They've got the perfect weight. They feel kind of snugly, but you don't get hot in the summertime under them, but you stay warm in the wintertime. It's just, it's it's perfect. I love these sheets. Get 15% off your first order of Bull and Branch sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BullandBranch.com. That's BullandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You will love these sheets as much as everybody in my family does. We got them on all five beds in the house. You can, too. Welcome, America. It is Eric Erickson here. I want to go to the phones here. Nate's been waiting patiently. Welcome to the show, Nate. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Eric. Um, quick quick point and, and a question. So, so Christy and Pence are probably two of the most unpopular figures in the GOP right now. And, you know, I, I feel like they're basing their entire campaign on this negative Trump bashing. I guess, you know, that's their the, the focus of their campaign rather than, you know, what am I going to do for America? And they basically said that, Christie said that, you know, that, that's just going to, you know, turn people off to them anyway. 
and, you know, garner sympathy for Trump and, and going to split the never Trump vote if they get any votes at all. So what's the point? Why, why not save, save yourself faith, you know, put your money and resources behind DeSantis or another candidate, you know, and try and help someone else that, that has a you know, po- more positive message in their campaign? So uh, that's a good question, I, and I, I've got a theory, and it, it's mine alone. Um, I think with Chris Christie, it is grudge settling. Uh, Chris Christie thinks Trump needs to be taken down a notch, if not taken out, and he doesn't think anyone else is up to the task, and so he's going to do it. With Mike Pence, I think it's it's fundamentally different. Uh, he is a deeply religious person and really does feel like he is called to be in the arena, whether he r- wins or loses. He thinks it is uh, he is compelled to be there, and and through prayer was just uh, ratified in his mind. This is what God wants him to do, and so he's going to be there, and he's got to figure out why God wants him there. And and maybe it is to stop Trump, maybe it's to be president, maybe it's to to stop someone else. Uh, I don't know that he knows, but I think he believes strongly. He knows he's supposed to be in the arena. Uh, Christie, it is it is a total score. So y'all y'all do know this, right? That Chris Christie through Jared Kushner's father in prison. Chris Christie was the U.S. attorney, and Jared Kushner's father was indicted and found guilty of financial crimes and put in prison. Chris Christie's the guy who did it. Christie thought he was going to be Trump's attorney general from the way I understand the story, and Kushner blocked it, uh, and Christie felt betrayed. He and Trump continued to maintain a cordial relationship uh, ultimately, he came to conclude it was a good thing he wasn't in the Trump administration and has ultimately now turned on Trump and thinks he's got to stop Trump. I, 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 so I think the rationale for both is completely different. One is grudge settling and the other is God's calling, whether you agree with him or not. Uh, we'll see how it plays out for both of them. I'm not going to dissuade them from running. They, they both get the right to run if they want to run, and they're running. Still don't know who Doug Burgum is, though. Now, I want to tell you, I do know who Americans for Prosperity are. They are a great group of grassroots conservatives across the country fighting for limited government, for freedom, for liberty. They want you on board. They have chapters in more than 30 states. In fact, let me get you the right number here because they got an impressive number. If you go to Americans for Prosperity, I'm doing it, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Uh, There it is. They have 36 chapters. More than four million advocates. They've knocked. They knocked on 1.58 million doors in 2022. They've got over 200 legislative victories in the past year. Uh, they advocate for small government and they build an army of activist help. If you want to help fight for reigniting the American dream, fighting for small government, fighting for your values, reach out to them. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Go sign up with them. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Learn to be a better political activist and get all the information you need to impress upon your elected leaders why they should advocate for your position. Join one of the state chapters across the nation with Americans for Prosperity. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you'd like to be on the program, 877-973-7425. We got to talk about the Southern Poverty Law Center. The Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC, it is a group that in its heyday was a prominent civil rights force for good, always liberal, but they fought against the Klan, the KKK. They fought against some seriously racist neo-Nazi groups, and they were successful. The problem with a lot of groups that become successful doing things like that is... They never want to go away. 
their reason for being, if we want to be snooty, raison d'etre, their reason for being, their cause, was these horribly racist groups like the KKK, which are no longer a major force in America. It's not to say they're not gone away. They're still there, but they're not really a force anymore. So the SPLC over the years, captured now not by civil rights activists so much as just liberal moneyed interests, has had to create new boogeymen. When I was a kid, my sisters and I have had these conversations several times lately. When I was a kid, my grandparents told me about Sack Billy. I, I, don't, I don't know if this is a thing anywhere outside South Louisiana, but in South Louisiana, it was Sack Billy. It's like the boogeyman, Baba Yaga. Sack Billy was the man on the street who carried a sack over his shoulder. Every small town has some eccentric dude who carries the sack over his shoulder. And our small town of Jackson, Louisiana, had the eccentric man who carried the sack over his shoulder. It was Sack Billy. And if you were bad, if you acted up, they were going to go summon Sack Billy. And in the middle of the night, while you were sound asleep, Sack Billy was going to come load you up in his sack and carry you away. What do you think was over his shoulder in that sack? Children, kidnapped children. Did you want to be one of those kidnapped kids? The things you tell yourself at night to scare your kids, the things you say to scare them. Sack Billy was coming for you. You could summon Baba Yaga. You could summon the boogeyman the things that go bump in the middle of the night, the creatures that hide under your bed, nothing was worse than Sack Billy because you can't see the boogeyman. Baba Yaga is a figment of the imagination. But Sack Billy roamed the streets of your town. You saw Sack Billy. He was real. When my kids were little, darn right I introduced him to Sack Billy. He's coming for you, kids. Going to go stand out in the street and call for him. I'm going to whistle for Sack Billy, and tonight you're going away if you don't apologize to your brother and put that spoon back in the drawer. <laughs> the things you scare your kids with. Sack Billy. Oh, when I was a kid, Sack Billy was a real thing. Not only was he real, you could see him. He's visual. He was real. He walked the streets of the town. I don't know who that old man was to this day, but there was an older black gentleman who carried a sack over his shoulder and walked everywhere. And he was Sack Billy. And I did not want to wind up in his sack, so I was a well-behaved kid. Moms for Liberty is a group. It's a real group. It's not an abstraction. It's a group you can point your finger at. It has known members. It has ideological members. It has members around the country. It has grown in ranks. It is identified with, uh, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Moms for Liberty has rallied to fight woke school board members. Moms for Liberty has fought against pornographic material in schools and lockdowns, has supported school choice. It is a known entity, like the guy who roamed the town with the sack over his back. You can point and say, there is Moms for Liberty. These people are part of this group. It's what the SPLC is doing. They're, they're not going for some... A mythical group, some abstract group. They're pointing to Moms for Liberty and saying, this is a racist hate group. Give us money to fight them. In this analogy, Moms for Liberty is Sack Billy. 
and the SPLC is your grandparents. Except instead of your grandparents trying to scare you into behaving, it's SPLC trying to scare their members into giving them money. They, they, they should have gone out of business. They should have gone away when, when they were so successful, but they haven't. They've stayed around, and now what they do is they label conservative groups hate groups. Any group, any person on the right that they don't like, that they can conjure reason to hate, they say this person is a racist, misogynist, a bully, bad, must be destroyed, send us money. The problem is that the media uses the SPLC. If I went to CNN and said, listen, Sack Billy, you need to do a report on Sack Billy, they would laugh in my face. But you need to do a report on Moms for Liberty. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. They are bad. And so they do a very biased attack on Moms for Liberty. And the sponsors of Moms for Liberty, they get attacked as well. There is uh, a, a tie into the SPLC and a couple of, of assassination attempts in this country you should know about. Floyd Lee Corkins was a uh, insane, crazy gay activist who went to the Southern Poverty Law Center website and found the Family Research Council, dear friends of mine, Tony Perkins Group. He saw that the Family Research Council was listed as an anti-gay group by SPLC. Now, it's not an anti-gay group. It's a pro-Christian family group. But, you know, if you're pro-Christian these days, it means you're anti-gay, according to the left. So Floyd Lee Corkins went out to Chick-fil-A and bought a bunch of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And then he went to Family Research Council with a gun, and his intention was to murder the employees and stuff their faces with what he thought were bigoted chicken sandwiches. He thought it would be hilarious to force-feed them Chick-fil-A sandwiches after they had holes in their brains. He was stopped by the security guard on the first floor in an exchange of gunfire. The security guard was wounded but survived, saved the Family Research Council employees from their death. James Hodgkinson also was a fan of the Southern Poverty Law Center. And the Southern Poverty Law Center, among others, were agitating against Republicans for wanting to repeal Obamacare. James Hodgkinson was a Rachel Maddow listening, Bernie Sanders supporting, SPLC website reading liberal nut job who showed up to a baseball practice of the congressional Republicans and attempted the mass assassination of Republican members of Congress. Why does the media continue to treat the Southern Poverty Law Center as a legitimate enterprise when it has now twice played a part, however tangential it is, in attempted assassinations of people on the right? Because the media agrees with them and gives them legitimacy. Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center is regularly, or has been in the past few years, on TV, including CNN, as a legitimate entity with legitimate views that should be respected. What the media is doing, what Southern Poverty Law Center is doing, what the left is doing, is they've created an entire enterprise to censor and punish the right for daring to have opposing views. You know, this goes beyond SPLC now. They're doing this with Moms for Liberty and other groups, but there's an entire operation on the left to deprive conservative entities of advertising dollars and the like. 
Uh, the author, this is from Chuck Ross at the Free Beacon, the author of a Southern Poverty Law Center report that labels parental rights organizations as extremist hate groups, met earlier this year with Biden National Security Council officials, according to White House records. Susan Cork, the director of the SPLC's Intelligence Project, this week added Moms for Liberty, Parents Defending Education, and other parent organizations to its hate map, alongside neo-Nazi and the Ku Klux Klan. Cork visited the White House on January 6, 2023, and met with National Security Council Counterterrorism Director John Piccarelli, according to the White House visitor logs. Cork, a former State Department official, was accompanied by researchers from American University who work with the Southern Poverty Law Center. The SPLC has been accused of a systemic culture of racism internally, and it classifies pro-parent organizations as anti-government hate groups. But this is not alone here. You've now got these outside entities that also list uh, where corporations should put their money. So I I forget the name of the group, but there's an advertising group that essentially encourages corporations to not advertise on Fox News or conservative talk radio. They try to deprive conservatives of money. They target conservative activists. They target conservative donors. They target uh, conservative entities. It is all designed to starve the conservative movement of resources. I regularly all have people attack my advertisers and even affiliates, trying to take me off the air, trying to deprive me of advertisers. It's one reason I use Substack. Um, people who subscribe to my Substack email help cover the cost of my radio show nationally as I grow the show because I I have more than one advertiser walked away from the show over time because of a progressive outrage mob. And it was probably like two people in their mother's basement, but they generated a bunch of phone calls pretending to be multiple people. And this happens all the time to conservatives. It happened to Rush Limbaugh back in the day. It happens to Fox News. It happens to me. It's a very organized movement of the left. They are very good at this level of organization, in part because so many people at major corporations of America are sympathetic to them and of the left, and they get media platforms. The SPLC gets on TV. They get to say this group is a hate group, whether it is or it's not. And you're just expected to fall in line and believe it because, you know, they're really concerned about truth and facts at these news organizations like CNN. You got to be aware of this, but also there are things you can do. Like, for example, if you win the White House, the Attorney General, if you win Congress, like we have the House Representatives, a full investigation. Why was an SPLC activist meeting with the White House National Security Council before formulating a list that we know people in the White House were trying to blackball these parental rights organizations. What are the ties there? What was discussed? You might be able to find stuff out, and Republicans in Congress should be looking at these sorts of groups. Two different men were readers of the SPLC website, liked them on Facebook, and tried to kill multiple people on the right. The SPLC itself has all sorts of internal problems, and it's not just them, it's other left-wing groups as well. The right has the opportunity to push back, and we have the House of Representatives. These are the sorts of things we should be looking into. State attorney generals, they should be looking into them. Alabama, they're headquartered in Alabama. The Alabama attorney general should be looking into them. 
if they want to label a peaceful group of parents concerned about their kids' education a right-wing hate group, perhaps they themselves need to be looked into because they are a left-wing insane group taking money from people, trying to concoct new fears, trying to find a sack billy on which to scare people and rally people to a cause where instead of putting kids in a sack, you're putting money in the coffers of the SPLC to keep people safe from an imaginary boogeyman that they convince you is real. One of the things that is real out there is uh, the economic turmoil in the country. And if you are concerned about your portfolio and want to do a better, more secure job of making your portfolio stable, you might want to reach out to my friends at Advantage Gold. Advantage Gold has a great opportunity to help you Figure out how to use precious metals, gold and silver, for your accounts. That You can call them, get a free IRA investment kit, 800-450-2566. Their trust link's number one highest rated gold company, seven years in a row. They got the best prices and staff. They got a fantastic IRA department, and they make it easy for you to comply with the IRS regulations related to precious metals. All you have to do is call them, 800-450-2566. That's 800-450-2566. Tell Advantage Gold you're coming from me. Just let them answer your questions about using precious metals. See if they're a good fit for your portfolio. IRA, 401k, general investments, they can help you. 800-450-2566. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Uh, glad to have you with me across the nation. I, the, the live... PGA fallout. I got to just play you this audio. This is Jay Monahan, uh, the the chairman or the commissioner of the PGA, still on defense. The, the, the guy, listen, again, this is very important for you all to understand and, and why it's still worth talking about the story. When you make something a moral cause and get people to buy into it as a moral cause, and then you sell them out, you can come away looking like an opportunistic fool as well in the process, which this guy does. Jay, the 9-11 Families United made a strong statement yesterday. They said you co-opted the 9-11 community in taking a moral stance against Liv. How would you respond to that group? Well, I, um, I read Terry's comments. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously acknowledge her loss and completely understand her position. And to the question that you were just asking, you know, I wish, I think about the fact that I allowed confidentiality to prevail here. And in allowing confidentiality to prevail, I did not communicate to very important constituents, including the families of 9-11. And I regret that, uh, I, I, I really do. Um, but as we sit here today, you know, I, I, think, I think it's important to, you know, to reiterate that um, I feel like the move that we've made and, and how we move forward is in the best interest of our sport. We've eliminated those fractures. Um, but for, for any, uh, any difficulties I've caused on that front, again, I have to own that as well, and that comes back to communication. Uh, really? Now, we don't know what this is going to look like. Uh, so Liv uses golf teams, and some sports leagues want to, or uh, so, some groups want to invest in teams 
Rory McIlroy. I got to tell you, uh, I I'm a big Rory McIlroy fan. There is a there, there's a documentary I mentioned on Netflix called Full Swing. It is about the PGA, and the first season is about when Liv was starting, and Rory McIlroy comes out of there looking like uh, one of the leaders of golf, and, and he loves golf, the sport, the meritocratic sport. He is a really good golfer. Uh, he, he's, he's had some setbacks in the last couple of years, but he's still a brilliant golfer. Uh, also loves the sport, loves the camaraderie of the sport, loves the teamsmanship of the sport, and has been probably the fiercest opponent of the live model of it, which is not a meritocracy. It's, it's you get a lot of guys, some of them who were no longer very good and on their way out, but had big names, put them together in these teams, and the teams play the teams as sort of a golf team sport, which is not golf. That's, that's not golf. And McElroy stood up for the tradition of golf and is getting dragged by these guys, but God bless Roy McElroy. We need more like him and less like the opportunists, uh, and hopefully he becomes a real leader in whatever comes of this.